The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Praise the Lord, beloved. Praise God. He is worthy to be praised. I just want to give thanks to the Lord because we are in his house once again, and we know that being in his house, uh, there is no better place. Being with the people of God, there is no better place. You believe it this morning? Just put your hands together for Jesus. Put your hands together for Jesus. I also want to thank God for the women's retreat and everything that went down there. Uh, I heard that the women had an incredible time. Uh, so thank you for everyone that volunteered, put time in, made this thing happen. Uh, is Caroline here? Anybody? Is she? Nope. Uh, no shout out. Okay, she uh, she did a good work. Ashley, uh, Brooke, Aaron taught. Uh, Daniel, Shelley taught. Who else am I missing? Randy, Randy, Randy taught. So we we had our women teaching and leading, and that was an incredible time from what all everything that I heard. Also with the nursery workers and volunteers, listen, um, they filled the calendar, but they still need volunteers. They filled the calendar, but they still need volunteers. Uh, you may have heard Michael Rhodes' sermon last week, and you may have you may struggle with uh, evangelism. What better way is it to evangelize while holding a baby? Right? To tell them about who Jesus is, to sing about who Jesus is. Uh, just, we're still looking for about 10 to 20 people, I believe, uh, to serve in the nursery. So please, please take advantage of serving our family, uh, helping our children. Uh, we, you may have noticed over the past couple of weeks, we've been kind of giving a short word on worship. And I kind of want to keep that, that going because when we come into an element in which we have so many different people who come from so many different uh, walks of, uh, or, or ways to worship. Some people use the word liturgy. Some people use the word worship service. It's also, some of it's semantics and some of it is the approach. Let me say this briefly. I just want you to think about how you prepare yourself for everything else in life. Some of y'all went down to Ole Miss and watched the football game. Some of y'all prepared to watch the, or preparing to watch the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, some of y'all Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I understand that in Memphis it's like the Steelers and the Cowboys because y'all don't have a team in Memphis and so that, that's where y'all lean. But you're preparing. Uh, no, no, I'm saying football team. Y'all preparing to, to, to worship your teams. Some of y'all had prepared to go to the club this weekend. Hey, man, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know some of y'all was waiting to go to the weekend or to the rooftop party. I know where y'all was at. Mm -hmm. You prepared. You made sure you was ready. You was playing the music in the back. You remember when you played the music in the background just to get you ready for the party and all that good stuff? Some of y'all college students in here, y'all was getting ready for the next party to go stump the yard somewhere, all of that good stuff. You're preparing yourself even when you go to work. You prepare but why is it when you come to worship that we don't prepare? That all week long we've been struggling and wrestling with their various different things. And, and yet when we come into this place and we sit down, our hearts are not attuned to Jesus. We're groggy when it comes to it. It's okay whenever to walk into worship. We can be late. We, we, could, we, could, we, could, we can do whatever we want. We can, we can take Sundays off. But here it is, beloved. 
how is it that we can prepare for so many different things, but yet the very thing that we believe that transformed our life, we can't prepare for? My encouragement is, is that when we come into this place, and remember, I, I've been in worship services where we, you prepare the service, there are intercessory prayer workers that are praying throughout the morning, and they're praying over the service, and they're praying as people walk in. They're in the back, or you may see them, they may be visible, but they're, they're, they're actually asking God to prepare every heart of the believer as they touch this door, this place. But then I also have been a part of high liturgical churches to where the way that it was prepped before worship was you heard a choral intro or you heard a prelude and what you would do is you would sit and you would listen to the music of God or the, and you would hear maybe a short song and you would prepare your heart and your mind in order to worship God. Here at Downtown Church, the way we prepare is we come in ready to sing. We come in ready to be a part of worship. And we listen to the playlist that comes ahead of time so we won't feel like we don't know the words to the song. And Adriana has done that. And so the other way that we do this is we pray to renew our minds every single day of the week. We meditate on God's word. And we reorient our hearts to be grateful. Hence the shirt that I have on. Grateful for what God has done and it bring you back in this place. Amen, somebody? Amen. All right. Let's get into God's word right in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Let me read God's word and pray. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind. Say hostile. hostile. Doing evil deeds, he has now, say now, now, reconciled in his body the, of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stay stable and steadfast. Right there, the NIV says, establish and firm, not shifting, not moving from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven of which I Paul became a minister the very words of God very words of God amen amen let me pray for us Lord we love you we thank you because you have shown us your glory you have shown us your faithfulness and God, we ask that you meet us in this place in a special way so that we may hear your word and not Michael Davis. I pray that I hide beneath your cross. And Lord, I pray that you fill me up so that I may speak directly to your people. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer, all God's people said together. So many of you guys have already known that we've been going through the book of Colossians and we've been going through this book with the big idea that we submit to what's supreme in our life and that Christ alone is the very thing that we should as believers submit to. And yet we submit to various different things and being that we submit to those things, whether that be to our jobs, to our spouse, to a TV show that we regularly watch on a daily basis, to whatever extracurricular activities that we devote ourselves to. We're submitting ourselves to various different 
different things. The way of life, security, a lifestyle, financial stability and wealth is the key to life. We submit ourselves to that. Some of us submit ourselves too early to boyfriend or girlfriend, to a relationship, hoping that we can get married and that we need to be married at a certain age. Some of us have taught our children that you need to submit to education, ACT scores, SAT scores, getting all A's. I don't see anything in the Bible that tells us that we need to get perfect scores. We submit to everything else besides being holy. We submit our lives to what, we, what is most supreme, what reigns most supreme. That's been the big idea. Is that Christ alone in your life? What is it that you submit to? Who is it that you submit to? What has your heart and what are you worshiping? The evidence that we see in this passage, Michael Rhodes had already preached the previous couple verses, 15 through 20, where he's given us this big God theology and seeing that the evidence in which all of this beautiful creation and new creation and reconciliation of all things through Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus, and to Christ Jesus, that what it brings to us, to the readers, to understand that everything surrounds around this God. This one true God. And unashamedly, we're saying that at downtown church, some of you may worship some other God. You may not be understanding what God you are worshiping, but Jesus Christ, the Lord who died for our sins and the Lord of our lives, and he was raised from the dead, and he sits on the throne at the right hand of God the Father, is our Lord Jesus, and he reigns over this place. He reigns over our lives. And we have to say that unashamedly because Paul makes it clear that in the context, they were struggling with this. And these four, remember, small house churches where individuals were coming in teaching false teachings, giving false teachings. And as they were giving these false teachings, they were struggling with their faith. They were trying to understand what it meant to worship this Jesus. But yet, Paul says that you have newness of life. And it comes through knowing the very one who created all things. If I were to ask you this morning a question of how you do the litmus test of your morality, what would you say? Would you say uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, as a Christian, I'm, I'm, I'm a 5. Some of us feel comfortable with a survey like that. But our passage gets to a deep root of that I'm not that bad theology. That, that I'm a 5 and I'm, I'm not a 0. Not understanding the depth and the weight of our depravity, we oftentimes think that I'm not as bad as the next person. I'm not as bad as the one that's addicted to porn. I'm not, a bad, I'm not as bad as the one that's addicted to alcohol. I'm not as bad as the, the criminal that's doing free life sentences. I'm not as bad as the individual that's standing on the side of the road. I'm not as bad of, of, of a Christian, of a human being, or the person that's raped somebody, or the person that has been able to do the most, the most tre tre uh, treacherous thing that we can ever imagine. I'm not as bad theology, right? And much of that comes because we're self-righteous and we struggle to empathize with people who don't know Jesus. Some people don't want to come to church because of Christians, not because of Jesus. 
Beloved, I, I want you to know that if we are to be a people who understands the death of Christ, I want you to understand this this morning. Hang your hat right on this. If you were to take anything, I got two points, but I want you to understand out of this two points, this is the big idea, the main idea that in the death of Christ, we have experienced the costliness and the power of God's grace in such a deep and profound way. <laughs> Love ourselves in a unique way. And the reason I say a unique way, because I want to present the reality that as Mario prayed this morning, there are tensions where we have different people from different backgrounds trying to radically love each other, trying to do things where we're in a divided society, and yet we don't understand that the very thing that came to reconcile us to Jesus is the very thing that comes to reconcile us to one another, and it's the power of the Spirit. It's the power of the indwelling spirit in our hearts. And so I want you to get this again, that in the death, the death of Christ, we've experienced the costliness and the power of grace in such a way, in such a profound way, that it's radically caused us to love ourselves and one another in a unique way. See, oftentimes in our theology, for some of y'all that love theology and love to put around it, you, you, it's hard to put the order salutis, the order of salvation into this, being effectually called and knowing that after being effectually called, God regenerates your heart and he converts you into knowing him. And next thing you know, you repent and you have faith. And that's what we hope for the babies that were baptized. And then they, rec- they recognize that they're justified and sanctified. And then there's a perseverance of the true believer. See, it's hard to wrap that around and, and put that in the good package when you can't love one another well what I'm saying is you can have great theology but not great practice you can understand us all, all of the ways the intricate ways of the five solas which we are using in Christ alone right you can understand those but yet not understand how to care and pray for the needs of your, your own brothers and sisters When you leave this place, you're so eager to leave out of the door and not think about asking a brother and or sister how they're doing. Sometimes, I get it, sometimes we're worried about nap time and we're not not hearing our brothers and sisters who are struggling. And so what am I saying? I'm saying I want our eyes to be attuned to what something Michael Rose brought up last week to this great big God, this cosmic God who, who's created all things for him, through him, by him, that we need to proclaim him by the way that we're unified and the way that we understand our depravity, our brokenness our deep need and how we ought to persist through life and understanding that first point is this is that in the death of Christ the death of Christ we we point the broken the broken to the reconciler sometimes we like to point them to ourselves we point those who are broken who need hope to that very one that can reconcile them and transform their life the second point that we'll go through is this is that in the death of Christ we are given the power to persist We'll see the first point in verses 21 through 22 and the second point in 23. I promise to get you out here in a, in a, in a decent time, maybe 1230. <laughs> Pray my strength in the Lord. Huh? Gang, come on, 12. okay. Make sure you get out of here before the gang come on and worship back. Uh, 
<laughs> well, I ain't putting on blast that I'm all out there. <laughs> first point, first point, first point, first point. First point, in the death of Christ, in the death of Christ, we point the broken to the reconciler. Look at verse 21. Once you were, now if you'd like to highlight or circle in your Bible, here's the very thing that we have to understand. It's always good to understand verb tense when you're reading the Bible. Sometimes it's hard to see that when you're just reading the English translation. So Greek helps it because you're able to parse verbs. And one of the verbs is, is be, were. So were, if you were to highlight were, and then you also go to 22 and you just highlight a circle, he has now. That's two verbs that actually gives you that but then theology. And then I'll, we'll get to that. But here it is, is where you see, he says, you once, once you were alienated from God and were enemies, enemies in mind because of evil behavior. If you were to also just underline alienated and then enemies, and then you can also contrast that right with blameless, holy, and above reproach. Now these verb tense help us because we see that you once were and now we see that now uh, by God's grace you are now this hint of reconciling to the work of Christ and as they are wrestling with the understanding this you got to realize that Paul is talking not only about just this spiritual aspect of being reconciled. So in the context you recognize that a Jew obviously and has been called as a person of God or a people of God to be his people. We understand that because of the continuity from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But here's where the thing that Jesus changes the game through the breaking of his body. He says not only are Jews my people but Gentiles as well. So the ethnic reality that they come into awareness is that some people told them that you are not a people of the covenant. But yet what Paul is saying is that ethnically because of the work of Jesus Christ you once were alienated because of your ethnicity and hostile in mind because in, in enemies because of your disposition. I remember when my son goes from a baby to a toddler, you know, the first one of the first things that they understand is to say no, right? No. The next thing you know, it was like, okay, you know, you're going to say no, that's good, to, because you know, some people may try to touch you, you want to say no, right? So I want to teach you not to say no, just don't say no to me, okay? <laughs> Watch how you're saying no to, brother. And, so, and, then, and then he moves from no to I don't want to. So I don't know where he learned that from. <laughs> MJ, go clean your room. I don't want to. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. MJ, go clean your room. I don't want to. I didn't ask you what you wanted to do. <laughs> go clean your room. His hostility is naturally a disposition and not just an intellectual exercise. He's resistant to me in his being and very much in his actions. Paul is saying you were once alienated and you were once enemies in your being, your disposition, which then leads to the evil behavior. And so God who is trying to actually engage in you, with you, you resist him because you don't necessarily know him and the power of his love, but what he does is he chastens his people. 
But here's what I want you to understand, beloved. That if you don't have a deep sense of your brokenness, if you have a higher view of yourself than other people, what happens is, is you fail every time and not seeing the deep need that you have, which should break your heart to be so gracious to your brother or sister. The reason I say in the death of Christ, because within the death of Christ, we're with him, right? This union of Christ, this being united with him in death. The reason I say that is because we should be dying daily. The mortification of our flesh requires us not to see ourselves higher than others, but to actually see ourselves lower so that we may be humble, gentle, bearing with one another. But then we also may have a high view of God. And then when we're going through hard times, that the high view of God helps us to understand that we are not alone. He cares for us deeply. We are his people and he's promised to love us. Even though that we're deeply flawed, we're uniquely loved. How often do we refuse God blatantly? How often do we resist the Lord? And I'm not talking about this apathetic faith. I'm talking about a disposition that is in complete rebellion to God. That alienates you, a state of rebellion that instead of recognizing your need to be reconciled to God, you fill that void with sex. You fill that void with independence. You fill that void with materialism. You fill that void with, with, with drugs. You fill that void with any pleasure seeker that you could. You fill that void because you don't recognize that the very thing that you need is God. It's not the degree. It's not the trade. It's not the job. It's not some new business. It's not some new person in your life. The very thing that you need is Jesus. And that's what Paul is making clear. That your evil behaviors with the very thing that God is trying to change. You're seeing this like, oh, is this some behavior, behavior modification? Absolutely not. Because what does, Jesus, what does the Bible teach us? That God is transforming the heart. And as he transforms the heart, he actually takes the way that you think and he transforms that. But then... We see right in verse 22, he has now reconciled in the body of the fle of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach. You see the contrast now, don't you? Amen, somebody. You see the contrast. And so in seeing that contrast, what, you, what we have to understand is that this is very much temple language. That the breaking of Jesus' body. That the presentation of you being holy is one that you would think of a temple where Jesus offering himself as a sacrifice, a material sacrifice. And then the very thing that he presents is you as holy, blameless, and free of any accusation. Now to make that a little bit more clear for you to understand, because for them, Gnostic believers would say, well, anything that is non-material, a non-material reality, is the very thing that is more important than what is material. And so the physical body being broken is what 
Paul is trying to say, don't fall for the false teaching that says that some supernatural, something in the cosmos outside of Jesus is far more important because he just got to the big God theology in verses 15 to 20, showing that everything was created for Jesus. And so the very one that everything was created for, he broke his body. In the body of his flesh, which is the very thing that the death, the very thing that calls you and gives you the freedom. I want you to get this. I want you to hear this. Is that you have purpose in life of your flawlessness. I mean, of your being, you being flawless. You being faulty. Say it that way. Why? Because Jude 24 says that now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. God's presence is important. Why is his presence is important? Why is the presence of God important? Because in the presence of God, just like when you look at Isaiah 6, you see the train, you see the room, the temple being filled with this train. You see this worship experience. You see the presence of God. And what does Isaiah recognize himself as? Unclean. The one that is not fit to be in the presence of God. But I want you to think about what Jesus does. He makes us clean. He, he actually makes us suitable through his righteousness. The very gospel to justify you is to say, some of y'all have seen and understand what it looks like to see someone had, with a criminal case. But what if you watch someone with a criminal case who you know for sure should go to hell or be sentenced to jail? You know for sure that this person has done all of the crimes. In fact, they, they, there's, the blood is on their hands, but yet as the gavel is banged, he says, don't worry. You are free. And the person who is this Barabbas experience, kind of idea, the person who knows that they're guilty, they walk in, 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 in this way in which they don't understand their freedom. I think that that's what we struggle with. We struggle with understanding our freedom because it's so hard to believe that Jesus would die for our sins and not hold us accountable for anything that we've done. And so he actually helps us to see that if you recognize your deep brokenness in your transparency, in your vulnerability, you actually point people to the one that can reconcile them and not to yourself. The second point is this, that in the death of Christ, we, it, we are given the power to persist. You see this in verse 23, where in verse 23, he says that if indeed you continue in faith, now you have to underline that, if indeed you continue in faith, because you're, you're presented blameless, you're free from, from any accusations that are, that, are, that are against you, but now what he says is you're grounded, you're rooted. Anybody remember Golden Child with Eddie Murphy? Movie in 1986. I remember when Eddie Murphy was walking through the one the temple, and he was he thought he was gonna be okay, and it was just all those little stumps that he had to walk on. And he was like, I know there's ground. There's ground. And you know how Eddie Murphy Eddie Murphy smiles. And then he looks down and, and it's this, he, he's certain that there has to be something in the abyss. 
So he flips a coin and he allows the coin to go down and he, and he listens and there's nothing. There's no ground. There's no certainty. He's now fearful of the very thing he thought he was certain of. The way that if we do not continue in faith, we have no ground. We have nothing that is established and that's affirmed. Nothing that helps continue to help us walk through life. And so we flip coins and we hear nothing. Which equals hopelessness. And the destination that Paul is trying to acknowledge for us is that the firm foundation we have is in Christ Jesus. That's nothing new. And as we continue to keep this faith that's established and that's affirmed, it's a new work that happens in our minds and our hearts that help us to be deeply rooted and deeply connected in such a way that Paul is saying that there are sinking sands around you and you cannot live a pretentious Christianity with trying to manage yourself because that's sinking sand. You cannot try to keep holding on to relationships that will also help you not grow and help you lose hope that's sinking sand and then if you try to pursue your own dream and try to do your own thing for your own glory and not give God the glory that's sinking sand. Every suicidal thought that tries to deceive you and come against you, that's sinking sand. Everything that tries to try to, to make you feel as if you're not worthy and you have no purpose, that's sinking sand. What is it? You can't be a successful teacher. You, you, can't, you can't sit here thinking that only if your classroom acts right, that that is going to be your only hope. That's sinking sand. He says, I want to reign supreme over your life by being the very thing that is your foundation. And not shifting in hope of the gospel that you heard. Connecting all the way to verses 23, verses 1, I mean verses 3 through 8 where you've heard the gospel, you've heard the word of truth. It's the very thing that you recognize. And he says, I don't want you to shift. I want you to continue to persist in your faith, understanding that I'm with you and that if you are caused to shift, I want you to look to me. Don't shift. What are you saying? Don't shift. Why are you saying that? Because I understand you're working at FedEx and somebody around you is telling you to look at somebody else. And you're married. Don't shift. I understand that you are working in elements where, you, where you're trying to be in the warehouse and you're doing your thing and somebody is trying to tempt you to do something else. Don't shift. I understand that you've been trying to walk in sobriety for, for so long and in your life you've struggled over and over again and you don't think you're worthy. I'm telling you, don't shift. And then the money may look funny and then you may think to yourself that if I, if I can just do what I used to do, I can make a little change. The Bible is saying don't shift. Also, you may be a person that's struggling with being in church, with trusting the church, because you've been hurt and broken by the church. And the Bible is saying, do not shift. I can tell you right now, you may be suffering and the pain that you feel leads you to drink more and to smoke more or to do something that tries to ease the pain. And the Bible is saying, don't shift. Oh, y'all hear me this morning. Y'all hear what the Bible is saying is that your marriage may be struggling and things are hard. You are suffering with depression. You are suffering with stress. And you don't understand that you have tried to get where you are as a college student because you used to live in the projects and you didn't have food in your refrigerator. You don't have food now. And the Bible is saying don't shift. The very thing that you need to hold on is to the hope and the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. 
Human beings can live, Andy Crouch says this, human beings can live 40 days without food, four days without water, and four minutes without air, but cannot live four seconds without hope. Don't shift. And why don't you shift? Because the very thing that's been proclaimed to all cre- creation, every creature in heaven, and it's not this idea that Paul is saying that every creature in heaven has heard the, every person in heaven has heard the gospel because Paul hasn't been everywhere. Well, what he's saying is, is that because of what happened in verses 15 to 20, because of the cosmic shift in reality in, in this world, that what the Bible is saying is that there was something that was so strong that happened that it shifted the, the whole cosmos to recognize there was something greater, something bigger, a creator that called you to proclaim the goodness and the beauty of all creation under heaven. And that was Jesus Christ. Through his death. Why do we create it for? We're created so that we can recognize that cosmic shift in our lives, which is the transformative work that causes us to persist through life. But if we continue to live life through Instagram, glory, Fake images that portray a life that doesn't necessarily tell what's really going on in our, in our hearts and our lives. If, if, if Instagram is our picture in our Christian life, we're failing. We're sinking. But if you were to ask yourself this question and not confuse it with, with the glory of God, what are the very things that are competing with me radically loving myself? would be radically loving the person next to me. That's what I want you to talk about when you leave there at your lunch table. Father, I thank you for your people, for what you're doing in them, and how they are no longer slaves to the sin that has come to them, and that every element in which they recognize that what you've done for them on the cross requires a response, requires them to respond to you through singing, through praise, through thanksgiving. God, I pray that in your presence, you continue to break us, mold us, and shape us into the people that you hope that we will be. We love you, Lord, knowing that you are the one that is always able to keep us from falling and holding strong above all temptation. For it is in Jesus' mighty name that all God's people said together.